Let's pray. God, would you pour out your spirit on Bob? Would you continue your work of healing in his body? Would you give him the strength to speak to us? Give him the clarity of thought? Give us the grace to have open, attentive, and listening hearts for what you have to share. Help us to be encouraged by what he says. And Father, we pray that your, your spirit and your personality and what you have to say would be faithfully mediated through his and what he's prepared. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first I want to thank uh, Coach Bielema for putting us all in such a good mood today. That was a great night of watching football. Um, I also want to thank you for your prayers for me. Uh, as you saw in the bulletin, perhaps, uh, two weeks ago I was in the hospital. Um, I was bleeding internally and didn't know it. I actually lost a couple of pints of blood. Um, so went to the hospital, found out it was a bleeding ulcer, but I found out they're not caused by stress. Uh, they're caused by a bacteria, so they took care of it, but I'm still not 100%. Uh, so I had to have my bologna sandwiches bet between, uh, between services, <laughs> try to get the blood sugar up. Um, but uh, I really do appreciate your prayers for me. Um, last week, the pastor mentioned in his sermon, he mentioned missionaries. Uh, from our church and how missionaries leave their families and go uh, to foreign lands and how we as a church need to take care of our missionaries and I can tell you that you really do that for me. Um, I'm an only child. Both of my parents have passed away long ago. They were both orphans. And so I have no grandparents, no parents, no brothers or sisters. I do have children and grandchildren. But um, I do a lot of traveling. And you folks have become my family. You have become my moms and dads and brothers and sisters. And I really appreciate you. I really love you. Uh, in this congregation. So, thank you. This is the first Sunday of Advent, and during Advent, we hear lots of voices. We hear, for instance, the beautiful voices of the Christmas music and the Advent music and the great choruses on the radio or on our CDs. And uh, for me, the main, uh, the thing I play the first day of Advent is always Handel's Messiah. And it happens that the first song uh, of Handel's Messiah is our passage for this morning, the first few lines of Isaiah 40. So to get us in the Advent spirit, we're going to listen to the first three minutes of the recitative Comfort, Comfort Ye My People from Handel's Messiah, which is our scripture for this morning.
was in high school in uh, New Jersey, it was still the time when in the public high school we could actually sing Christmas songs in our chorus. And we sang the Hallelujah Chorus from the Messiah, and that got me onto the Messiah. And ever since then, since I was 16 years old, I've listened to this uh, piece, the first day of Advent. So that's one of the voices of Advent. Of course, in the Christmas story itself, there are the voices of uh, Christmas and Advent. There's the voice of the shepherds as they tell the good news. There's the voice of the angels as they proclaim the, uh, the uh, fact that the child has been born to the shepherds. And there's the voices of the wise men as they worship King Jesus. And we also hear on our televisions and so on, the commercialism voices, the crass uh, commercial voices. I had prepared a lot of examples of that, but you know those. No sense taking time in my, my precious sermon time to share with you what you already know. Um, some of the commercial voices of this time of year. But our passage uh, for this morning uh, if you look at it, it was read at the beginning of the service, Isaiah 40, 1 to 11. And you see a lot of voices, a voice crying in the wilderness. A voice says, cry out, um, uh, lift up your voice with a shout. Three times, uh, voice, the word voice is mentioned. A number of other voice words, says, speak, proclaim, cry shout, say. Um, so this passage is all about voices. So I want to share with you this morning four voices of Advent. And um, also, I want to, before that, I want to give you a little background, a little historical background. This is Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapters 1 to 39 um, Isaiah the prophet is preaching to the people of Israel, and they're more or less doom and gloom. Uh, there's some beautiful passages of hope there in, those, in uh, chapters 1 to 39, but for the most part, Isaiah is preaching judgment because the people were in a horrible situation. Um, the country was divided north and south. The northern part of Israel uh, had been invaded by the Assyrians and taken away captive to Assyria, leaving only little Judah left. And at this time, around Isaiah 40, the barbarians were literally at the gate. <laughs> The Babylonians had attacked Jerusalem. Um, Israel tried to make a uh, treaty or agreement with Egypt, but that didn't work. By the way, listen, Egypt, Israel, Syria, nothing changes, it seems. Um, but anyway, the Babylonians were at the gate and um, Isaiah preached and said, come on folks, um, repent. This is, uh, let's look at our society. Our society has turned away from God, he says in chapter 1 and chapter 5. Uh, our religion is only formal. We're not worshiping with our hearts. And we can see it in our, in our society, Isaiah says. Look at our society. There's this gigantic gap 
between rich and poor in Israel at the time. The, the, the rich are selling the poor for a pair of shoes. There's social injustice everywhere. People have turned from God. We're in trouble, is the message of 1 to 39. And the barbarians are at the gate about to invade. Then, silence. No word from God. And the, the scholars debate how many years. But it was a long time. No word from God. Then comes this word. Comfort. Not judgment. Not terror. Comfort. The first voice of Advent. The first voice they heard. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, or her warfare is completed. Her sin has been paid for. What is this? It's, it's the gospel. Isaiah is sharing the gospel. Your sin has been paid for. That's the gospel. That Jesus died in our place for our sins by his grace. We know that. If you go to this church, you know that. But yet, as I go around the world, and especially speak to young people, I find that even if they know it, they find it hard to believe that the God of the universe really loves you. That God really loves you. That by his grace, your sins are paid for. Your sins are gone. Maybe it's because in America here, we have this Protestant work ethic, you know, which is good. It's a good thing. It helped us build up this great country. But there's a sense where there's no free lunch. You got to earn it. You don't just get stuff for free. Well, yeah, but the gospel is free. God's love is free. You just receive it by grace, by faith. Your sins are paid for. No way to earn it. I heard a great story that illustrates this. Um, and I'm not sure if it's uh, true, but it certainly illustrates this. It's a story of two guys who were um, roommates in college. And as they graduated, one went into law, became a lawyer. The other went into business, became a businessman. The lawyer moved up in his profession and became a judge. And the businessman moved up but like uh, the famous Bernie Madhoff uh, in New York, he began to cheat, to embezzle, to do the Ponzi schemes. Now that doesn't mean all businessmen are bad. I gave this talk to a group of businessmen and they were really mad at me. I gotta be careful who I'm talking to. Uh, businessmen, Christian businessmen are wonderful, they're generous, but this guy wasn't. And he cheated. It was a big scandal, like really big, like Enron or Bernie Madoff. And so he was caught and brought to trial. And guess who the judge was? His friend. 
Now, that couldn't really happen. That any judge would have recused himself, but in this story, it happened. And so he's brought to trial. And it was a country where the judge wore, sat up way up high, wore this robe and the, the British wig, you know. And um, they had a trial. And the jury concluded 12 nothing, guilty. Guilty. Then it was up to judge, to the judge, to give the sentence. And everybody was really interested. What would the judge do to his friend? So the man stood up there and looked up at the judge, and everyone was shocked. The judge gave the highest, harshest penalty that the law would allow. A gigantic fine for the rest of his life in jail. Well, he couldn't pay the fine because he'd spent all his money on lawyers and stuff. So the man just started to walk away to spend the rest of his life in jail. And the judge ended the case, thanked the jury, took off his robe and his wig, ran down into the courtroom, put his arm around his friend and said, I'll pay the fine. The same judge who gave the sentence paid the fine. That's God's grace. That's what God did for us. What did this guy do to deserve it? Nothing. He just received it. Jesus took upon himself our punishment, which is death, so that we are free. We're free to go, even though we didn't do anything to deserve it. That's the gospel. Your sins are paid for. I mean, I can imagine it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I can imagine someday I'll be up there and they'll show the videotape or the DVR or whatever it is they have up there of all my sins. And it's going to be like, oh, man. And God's going to say, well, and um, yeah, I deserve death. And Jesus is going to say, I paid the price. I paid the fine. I died for you. And they're going to hit that beautiful delete or clear history <laughs> button we're forgiven our sin is paid for if you are in Jesus believe it your sin is paid for that's what communion is about to remind us of that so the first voice of Advent is the voice of comfort, the voice of forgiveness. The second voice, the next few verses, verses 3 to 5 of Isaiah 40, is the voice of preparation. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low and the rough ground become plain, okay? This is a picture of, in ancient times, New Testament times, when the great king would come into a town. And there was a guy, or a couple of guys, that went ahead of him down the road. And they cleared off the stones and the rocks from the road. <clears throat> they filled in the potholes. They made sure the road was clear for the king to come. They prepared the way. 
And then they would shout, here comes the king, hail to our king. That guy was called a herald. A herald is someone who proclaims that the king is coming. That's why we have herald angels who proclaim the king is coming. Well, this says that we need to prepare for the coming of the king. Now, John the Baptist took this passage for himself. Jesus gave it to John also, and the gospel writers attribute this to John the, the Baptist because John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. And how did he do it? By calling people to repent, calling them to consider our sins, their sins. Well, I'd like to challenge you toward that because the second voice is the voice of preparation. And I know that this Christmas season is extremely busy. Everybody's got parties and extra parties and extra meetings to go to and so on. They're all fun. They're great. But we have less time when actually, ironically, we should take more time to prepare our hearts, our souls for Christmas, for the coming of Jesus. And yes, our sins are forgiven. But who wants to live in, in this way we live so often? You sin, you feel really bad, feel really guilty, you confess, you're forgiven, and you sin again. Maybe it's time to take some time to work on one of those sins and really prepare, really work on it. So we're not in this always pattern. And uh, yeah, take some time to prepare our souls prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus. So that's the second voice. The first is the voice of comfort. The second is the voice of preparation. And here's the third. Um, the voice says, cry out. What should I cry? All people are like grass and their, faith, their faithfulness like the flowers of the field. The grass withers. The flowers fail, fall, fail, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. The people are like grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but, the contrast, but, the word of our God endures forever. It's a contrast between how fast things disappear, our life is short, like grass in the fields that kind of blows away, compared to the word of God, which is eternal. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. God's word is eternal, and it's powerful, and it's awesome. It changes people. It changes nations. Okay, here's a quick example. This man, um, Gatsen Onyekveri, uh, it's hard to see him, but there he is. He is the first black man ever to become a member, an elected member of the Polish parliament. Okay, the parliament of the country of Poland. The country of Poland has existed for a thousand years. And up until this time, every single person in parliament has been white. 
He's the first black man to ever become a parliamentarian in the Polish nation. Okay? And he's a Christian. He uh, actually was, was a missionary, born in Nigeria, was a missionary with InterVarsity who went to Poland and uh, fell in love with the country, learned the language, became a citizen, ran for parliament, and got elected. So here we have a Christian missionary uh, of African descent in the Polish parliament. So I was in Poland a year and a half ago, and he was giving a lecture. So I went to the lecture, and I was just kind of sitting there. True story, I was just sitting there. And he started out his lecture. He looked at me, and he said, I want to thank Bob Gromman for changing my life. And I was like, what? <laughs> when? I was breaking my head. When did I ever meet a member of the Polish parliament? <laughs> um, so I went up to him after his talk and said, what was that about? And he said, well, do you remember 20 years ago in 1992, you came to Nigeria to do a Bible study training for students. Yeah, he said, I was a student in Nigeria, in the university. And uh, I went to your Bible study training and you took me aside and showed me, gave me special, uh, some attention and showed me how to study the Bible for myself how to study a passage inductively and get something out of it. That started me on a lifelong, he said, started him on a lifelong uh, journey of Bible study. So he said, I was studying the Bible one day as a student in Nigeria and felt God called me to be a missionary in Poland. So I moved to Poland. Then I was studying the Bible and I felt God calling me to go into politics. So I ran for parliament and I won. So I said, well, I didn't change your life. The Bible changed your life. God changed your life through his word. Right? God's word transforms people. God's word transforms nations when people study it and obey it. So I'd like to challenge you. You know, um, many of us come from church traditions where uh, we celebrate Lent by giving up something. I grew up in New Jersey. Um, almost all my friends were Catholic or Jewish, and the Catholic kids would always give something up for Lent, usually smoking, and they didn't smoke, or uh, chewing gum, they didn't chew gum. But uh, you give up something for Lent. Well, for Advent, I think we should add something. So I'd like to challenge you for the next 25 days to spend 15 minutes in the scripture if you don't already. Um, read through a book of the Bible, one of the Gospels, uh, 15 minutes a day. Take some time in the scripture. Let it transform your life. Let Jesus work through his word to transform your life. And I have a Christmas present for you. If the, wow, are they up there? They, yeah, they're disappear. Man, they're little elves. I can't even see them up there. Anyway, um, but they are doing their magic work. And you're going to put up the, here's a website for you. Thirsty.org. 
ifesworld.org. Uh, no WW, W, please. Um, just thirsty.ifesworld.org and go to the website. And here it is. And it's a passage from the Bible. Every day, it's going through Luke this month. So it gives you the passage. And then you scroll down, and there are three inductive questions. The first question is observational. Helps you understand what the passage says. The second question is interpretive. Helps you understand what the passage means. And the third question is applicational. Helps you see what the passage means for you. Okay? I am leader of a team that writes those questions. So we've written questions for every passage um, of the Bible, actually. And we put a different passage up consecutively every day. And if you go up, uh, go to the right, nope, come down a little bit, down, 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 there you go. And you put your phone number in there of your smartphone, um, click submit, and you'll get it every day automatically sent to your smartphone as a text. The passage. Three questions. So use that or something else um, and take some time. And by the way, if you use that for the next three years, you'll have studied every single passage of the Bible. We go through the whole Bible that way. Um, and we looked on the internet, and it turns out there's 155 different Bible reading plans on the internet. They're all good. They're inspiring, helpful. This is the only one that actually has inductive questions. All right. So if you like that kind of thing, take a look at this. But whatever you use, I'd like to challenge you. Spend some time in his word and let God's word transform you as it transforms nations. The, th the fourth voice is a voice describing who God is. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. And those two verses, 10 and 11, are amazing um, kind of descriptions of different aspects of who God is. Look at verse 10. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. His reward, that's good, is with him. His recompense accompanies him. It's a picture of the mighty God shaking the earth, coming to the earth in power, in sovereign power. Next verse. His flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. The mighty, awesome, sovereign God comes to earth as a baby, born in a stable, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger. Worshipped by shepherds, the low, 
people in the society. That's our God. The awesome God of the universe comes as a baby who is our good shepherd who carries us in his arms gently leads those with young that's our God that's our God and I actually have a geopolitical example of this um, in the 1980s I was a missionary uh, my family and I lived in Vienna Austria and I was one of those guys that kind of snuck into the communist countries of uh, Eastern Europe, like Poland and Hungary and Romania and such, um, with, because there were pastors meeting underground there that we would go in and serve, and some students, Christian students, starting to meet. So it was an interesting time. Um, but the harshest, hardest country the most communist country at the time in Eastern Europe was Romania. Romania had this incredibly harsh dictator named Ceausescu. And he was a scary guy. Because I would go into that country and kind of change my name and sneak in there. And it was dangerous. It was scary. Because you get into that country in the communist days, posters everywhere of Ceausescu and uh, quotes from him. And there was only one newspaper published each day. It was four pages. Three pages were pictures of what Ceausescu did yesterday. <laughs> and there was one TV show at night, only two hours, the only time the television was on. And it was a documentary about what Ceausescu did yesterday. <laughs> And he had a security force that was awesome in how evil they were. And he hated the church. Some of you uh, might remember a book called Tortured for Christ by Richard Warnbrand that was written about Romania. It was scary. And Ceausescu had complete control of people's minds. <laughs> And, and hearts. And um, in the fall of 1989, as other countries were changing, uh, Czechoslovakia and, and Hungary and Poland were throwing off communism, I was sitting in Romania writing um, reports to my supervisor saying, Romania will never change. Ceausescu has too much power. I was wrong. <laughs> Because on December 16th, 1989, and you can look this up, this has really happened, a pastor, a pastor of a little church in the town of Timisoara, Romania, had the courage to preach a sermon where he said that Jesus is Lord and Mr. Ceausescu is not Lord. And pastors at that time had to give their sermons to the police uh, to check. And so the police looked at the sermon, sent it to Ceausescu. He sent the army to arrest this guy. So on December 17th, the army came to arrest him, the pastor, who lived in the church building, little, little building. And the people surrounded the church, the members of the congregation surrounded the church, held hands, and uh, sang and prayed, and the army opened fire 
and shot them. Old people, young people. Well, it's a student town, Timishwara, so the students poured into the streets and had a revolution. Some of them are Christian students that we worked with. And to make a long story short, within eight days, they won. The country was free. Ceausescu was gone. On Christmas Day, December 25th, 1989, Ceausescu was dead, the country was free. And that was, in my experience, I have never seen the power of God change a country in eight days like that. And people were praying, people in this church and other churches were praying for that for years, years and years praying for Romania. And God just did it. In his sovereign power, he brought down a dictator, brought a dictator to his knees. And then as soon as the borders opened, we went in there, all the, the Christian um, humanitarian aid societies, World Vision and Slavic Gospel and Campus Crusade and University, and everybody went in there. And we discovered hundreds and hundreds of orphans. Because if you look at a map of Romania, um, two-thirds of it is ethnic Romanian, one-third of it is ethnic Hungarian. And Ceausescu wanted more Romanian people, so he required that each woman, Romanian woman, must have five children. If she didn't, she was fined. If she did, she got a stipend for each kid. So the girls would have a baby, bring the baby to the town hall to register the baby, take the baby to the orphanage and drop it off. Sometimes not the orphanage, sometimes the garbage dump. And so Romania was filled with orphans. And the Christian humanitarian community went into action. They built orphanages, they took over the state orphanages, Hundreds and hundreds of Christian couples all around the world adopted Romanian orphans, including some from this church, I remember, in the early 90s. That was Jesus working through his people to hug those orphans. So here, the same God whose sovereign power brings down one of the world's harshest dictators in his sovereign power comes in as a shepherd and hugs orphans. That's our God. That's our God. He comes, he comes with power. His reward is with him. His recompense accompanies him. And he gathers the lambs in his arms like a shepherd. That's who God is. So, in this passage, there's four voices of Advent. There's the voice of comfort. You're forgiven. No matter what, if you believe in Jesus, if you commit yourself to him, you're forgiven by grace. It's a gift. Accept it. In the midst of the harsh world, in the midst of the commercialism and the terrorism and the wars, comes this 
word. Comfort. Your sins are paid for. Your iniquities are pardoned. And then, word of preparation for his coming. And then, the word about the power of his word. The permanence of God's word. And the word, the voice announcing who God is. Powerful, sovereign God, who's our gentle shepherd. Now, um, when my kids were in high school, they had John Georgeson as their music teacher. He was the best teacher that my kids ever had. And he was always talking about measurable outcomes. That's what all teachers talk about, right? Measurable outcomes. I was on the school board in Verona, and we made our teachers do measurable outcomes. Well, I have four outcomes I would like you to walk out this door with. First of all, I hope you walk out this door realizing that you are forgiven. That you're living in God's grace. You're living in God's love. If you're committed to him, you are just awash in God's love and grace. But I want you to walk out determined to take some time this month to prepare your heart, not just your fireplace or your living room, your heart for Christmas, for the coming of Jesus. Thirdly, I hope you'll be committed to take some time in his word each day, at least for the next 25 days. Take some time in his word. Read through a gospel. Use the thirsty or some other plan. Maybe you have a little Advent devotional book. Those are awesome. Um, and then walk out of here praising God for who he is. The sovereign God of the universe who's your shepherd, who holds you in his arms, who gently leads you. That's our God. That's the four voices of Advent. And communion is a celebration of that. So I'm going to give you a few minutes. Just in silence, we'll have a little uh, quiet music up here. And just meditate on those things. Um, maybe bring your sins to the Lord, confess them. Um, maybe make a commitment. You know, this is the first Sunday in Advent, the first Sunday of the Christmas Christian year. It's like New Year's Day. Make a resolution to, uh, to do something special. Maybe it's take the, the children's Christmas present to an angel tree present to a kid whose parents are in prison. Share the gospel with them. Wow, what a great opportunity. So make a commitment. Or just praise God for who he is. Take a few minutes of silence.